0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable NESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. My guest today is Jane Carton, President, Director, and a Portfolio Manager at Saturna Capital. Jane manages the Saturna Sustainable Equity Fund, And for any listeners who still have doubts about sustainable investing performance, the fund had an average annual total return of 16.4% for the three-year period ending May 28th of 2021. That, by the way, is a 1.5% annualized outperformance versus the S&P Global 1200 Index for the same three-year period. Congratulations, Jane, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast.
1: Thanks, Paul. It's great to hear your voice again. I'm glad to be here.
0: Terrific. Well, I'm really glad you're able to join me today. I've known you for a number of years, and you're really an extraordinary person. You're a highly successful portfolio manager. You run Saturna Capital. You're an activist for gender equality in finance. You sit on multiple industry boards. I'm really just in awe of everything that you accomplish, Jane. And sustainable investing is at the core. So, Jane, tell us why. Why is Saturna committed to integrating sustainable investing into its portfolios, and how do you do it?
1: Okay. Uh, well, Saturn Capital. Saturn Capital has been uh, an environmental, social. And governance oriented investor for over 30 years because of the Amana Mutual Funds, which were our uh, initial products launched here at Saturna and invested according to Islamic principles, which consider uh, most of those as uh, integral to being okay to put in a halal portfolio and what we have learned over the 30 plus years investing according to these beliefs is that not only can we feel very positive about the companies in which we're investing and partnering with but also uh, can mitigate a, a certain amount of Portfolio risk by finding companies that have the long-term, uh, the long-term thinking, which allows them to make the short-term sacrifices in their companies that are necessary to really put their people and the planet and and all of their various stakeholders, not simply shareholders. Uh, put them forward in in their thinking because it can be difficult if you're running a a public company to make those short-term sacrifices if you're only thinking about quarterly earnings. But if you're really thinking about success of the company over the long term, you quickly realize that if all of your stakeholders aren't being treated well. And if you're damaging your own communities and environment, it won't be successful in the long-term. So we really see that as a strategic advantage and we are not short-term investors by any stretch. We're we're value investors looking for growth at a reasonable price. And uh, these considerations simply lead us toward better performing overall companies. And uh, we've learned these lessons over and over again. And we are very happy to have these guidelines because they help us and and they help our performance. They help drive alpha.
0: Thanks Jane for that explanation. You mentioned Halal a moment ago. Uh, Many of our listeners probably don't know uh, are not aware of that reference. Can you t- tell us what halal means or what the concept Certainly. is? Certainly. So uh, the
1: amount of mutual funds are faith-based, as I said, and they're invested according to Islamic principles. And um, in, the, in the religion of Islam, if something is deemed to be acceptable, it's called halal if something is deemed to be unacceptable, it's called haram. Um, Some some types of investments that we screen for and avoid, which are considered haram, would include alcohol, tobacco, pornography, pork processing, gambling, and especially interesting and, um, and sort of, Uh, differentiating for our Islamic portfolios is that we also avoid companies with too much uh, interest, either in lending, like financial institutions, or uh, if they're overly in debt, then we don't put them into our portfolios. And it's that debt screen that really gives us the quality balance sheets we're looking for in in the companies in which we invest. And so with with so many years experience doing that, when we started the Saturna Sustainable Funds, we decided to really um, use those financial lessons and say, you know, the, the best companies that we find over the long term are not the high flying individuals that are overly indebted. Um, that can be difficult in periods where the market runs, although it's not always. Um, Our performance has been quite good, even in the the recent bull markets. Um, But when markets go down, if you have the companies with strong balance sheets without too much debt, you tend to avoid that risk and um, really add and offer some downside protection to your shareholders.
0: Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. The Saturna Sustainable Equity Fund has recently been awarded a gender equality score in the 92nd percentile. That's number 89 out of 1,152 funds. So you're obviously walking the talk related to gender equality. You discussed this rating score in a webinar you recently co-hosted on corporate gender equality. There's a lot of emphasis on gender equality in our industry these days, Jane. Do investors really need to be concerned about this?
1: Absolutely. I I think um, there are so many reasons for investors to consider gender equality and, and all kinds of equality in terms of who, who is running the company's in which you are investing. If it is uh, just a group of white men, for example, as has so frequently been the case in our history, it the companies can fall victim to group think. Um, they can get sort of uh, patting each other on the back and not really looking at new and innovative ideas. And as our society evolves and people realize the value in myriad of voices, the companies that have that, those diverse voices uh, can really shine. And gender is very important in terms of that as, just proved by so many studies that show once three women are on a board the company will begin to improve um it's that it's the idea of having different perspectives that really helps the companies move forward in my mind
0: okay good so you also recently published an article in green money journal about starting the pipeline of female finance CEOs much earlier, like in elementary school. I have a granddaughter. I'd love for her to start thinking about these ideas early on. How do you envision something like this happening?
1: I mean, I I have given a lot of thought to this idea because I do think the confidence building has to start earlier and the, messaging of what each child is able to accomplish should begin earlier. Um, I I was very fortunate in that both my parents uh, were very involved in investing and I, I did not I did not suffer lack of confidence um, from from being a woman. I saw my mom working, and I feel so fortunate that I was able to have her as a mentor. Um, and I not everybody does, and if they don't, I think it's important for them to find um, find find opportunities within themselves. You know, one of the things that I did as a young person was I, uh, I was very involved with computers and it was somewhat unique at the time to have a female computer science major and I had always been interested in computers and what I found was the reason it was so rare was because boys at a very young age um wanted to play computer games so badly and when i was growing up they were very rudimentary compared to what they are now but, but the desire boys seemed to show to play um, shootem up games and other computer games with scoring was so high that they were willing to take the time to upgrade their computers take them apart fix them if they Uh, if they were broken because they had the payoff that they really wanted of, of playing these games and those games weren't as appealing usually to girls. And so by the time kids get into middle school and computer science starts being part of the regular curriculum, boys are so much more comfortable just with the hardware and just not being afraid of breaking something that they are able to um, really make strides that the girls were, are literally already behind in middle school. So um, making software for girls and that kind of thing has done a lot in the space of computer science. And so I think about that in terms of finance and what can we do to build financial confidence in both, both boys and girls so that they realize that this is uh, an important Avenue for them as well and I, I don't I don't have the answers but I uh, I do believe that junior achievement is one of the programs in our country that is doing the best work and I I encourage all schools to take a look at that program
0: okay well certainly there are these types of barriers out there uh, that have been in place for many years to women achieving equality in the financial services industry, uh, which we've both been a part of for, for our entire careers, what do you see as the barriers today for women to achieve in financial services whether as asset managers, financial advisors, or senior executives?
1: I I do think a lot of it goes back to this confidence game and the fact that there are so few female finance majors. And I think maybe um, one of the things that we could bring forward in terms of enticing young women to choose finance as a career would be to Open up the conversation about how much of finance is behavioral finance, and even at institutional investment levels, there's a huge degree of psychology that is put into investment decisions. And women frequently outperform uh, men when it comes to to that type of decision making. And I think if they um, saw that psychology of finance and the importance of that, we might be able to um, to get a few more women in the pipeline. Uh, anything that, that can show it to be interesting, intriguing and a place where they will naturally be able to succeed, which in fact, I believe they can.
0: When I was a practicing advisor, Jane, one of the things that I found in working with mixed couples, a man and a woman, was that as it relates to sustainable investing and ESG, uh, portfolio integration, women seemed even 15, 20 years ago, much more comfortable with making those types of investment choices based on their personal values, whereas men seem to want to be much more analytical about the process. So are you seeing that in your portfolio and in your work in the industry today? Yeah,
1: I do. I see that a lot. I think women are um, intuitively uh, more I I don't know if it's conditioning or if it really is intuitive, but they feel um, confident about being able to put their money where their beliefs are and and see their beliefs as true contributors to um, a company's performance, which I do also. Men seem to, um, yes, absolutely want to show an analytical side, which doesn't have to suffer. There, there's absolutely an analytical component to ESG investing, which is very important. It's just the ESG portion of it can be an additional kicker. Men are, are more aggressive and, and seem to want to um, be certain that performance is, is, is the key And I think the conversation just needs to broaden because performance certainly doesn't have to be sacrificed for ESG. Um, One of my favorite books is a book about um, Warren Buffett invests like a girl and so should you. Um, And I think that's so true. I mean, he really partners with the companies that he invests in the same way that, that we do at Saturna. And I think that long-term commitment and partnership with a company in which you're investing is more, um, I, I think women grasp that sooner a lot than men. Men want it to seem transactional and exciting and um women are really trying to make an investment for the future. Now that's a huge oversimplification and um, certainly not everybody fits into those roles, but I have seen that over time.
0: So Jane, as a portfolio manager, share with our listeners how you work with the connection between investment confidence and risk appetite, which are both part of this behavioral finance conversation as well and are integral to the ESG investment process.
1: Yeah, there, there are two sides of risk, and, and they both come into play with investing. Um, the, the one that we've been talking about earlier today is the risk that you're trying to mitigate by going with the very best companies, and that can be done um, and it's certainly amplified with ESG investing. But the other kind is risk appetite and the amount of risk the investor herself is willing to take in order to achieve the returns that they're looking for. And certainly the more risk that's on the table, the more um, the more opportunity one has for these outsized uh, returns women seem to be more concerned about losing money and are they see they see that risk they see the real possibility that they could lose money and that is absolutely real and they should be however uh if you are unwilling to take those risks at any point in your investment lifetime, you could potentially miss out on the performance that adding that type of risk onto the table uh, can take. And I think that is something that is not discussed enough and that, um, that we really do need to start the conversation early Because earlier in our investment lifetimes is the time to take that risk on. Certainly, um, it's a time in your life when you may not have dependents, when you may not have a lot of financial obligations like mortgages, etc., and I think men come to that risk taking earlier in their life and then they have the chance to leap forward financially because they're willing to take that risk. And I, I would really like women to also embrace that, that young risk and put that on the table, you know, front load their portfolios while they still have the ability to, I think, um, I think it's fun, I think it's interesting. I think there can be uh, different ways that you can take the risk that you need to take, but also mitigate it in a way that's understandable, like um, learning about options trading, for example. I think for very young investors, that can be great because you can put a small amount of money that yes, you may lose all of um, out, but you may, you know, you give yourself the opportunity to uh, reap rewards uh, from taking that risk, knowing exactly what it is that you may be losing.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, so Jane, we have a couple of minutes left, and I want to focus our last uh, part of our discussion here on long-term risk management, because that is really in sustainable investing what we ask investors to do. And, I, and as a former advisor and a consultant to advisors, that's one of the things that I find financial advisors today are very uncomfortable with, and that is the unknown future of um, performance, uh, technology, different types of sector growth or, or sector decline that we're engaged in Around the transition to a low-carbon economy, so share with us your thoughts about long-term risk as part of sustainable investing in the next couple of minutes.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the most beautiful things about ESG investing is just how it really puts together um, all of the most important parts of investing for a successful future.
0: The last thing that <clears throat> that I have on my. Uh, plate today is to find out from you where our listeners can go online to learn more about Saturna Capital and how they can get in touch with you about what we've discussed today in our podcast conversation.
1: Well, we are always available at saturna.com, and um, I am available to um, to listeners who would like to speak with me. My... Uh, Email address is saturna.com and I welcome any questions people might have. I, I really thank you, Paul, for putting this podcast together. I think it's a wonderful platform for people to learn about investing and I hope I'll be able to join you again in the future.
0: Well, thanks so much, Jane. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with our audience today. We've been speaking with Jane Carton, President, Director, and Portfolio Manager at Saturna Capital. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.